0: If you are new uh, or visiting today, I am Paul Johnson. I am not uh, the normal uh, preaching pastor. In fact, some people are leaning over saying he's really not normal at all. Um, And that's okay. Uh, I I like that. Uh, I like to preach. um, I like to do things differently. I like to preach from sitting down. You're all sitting down, so I'm going to join you. I like to keep my shirt untucked. And I like the title saint better than I do pastor. Some of you may realize that. Uh, I think definitions are important. Back when I was living in St. Paul, I had the privilege of uh, chaperoning my son Jed's second grade overnight field trip. And uh, Jed had a buddy named Greg, and Greg was a little evangelist. And we were in the cabin one night uh, with all the other boys, and Greg was telling them about, about his church and telling them about Jesus and then Greg points, uh, points, picks out one boy and he says, Daryl, are you a Christian? And Daryl just kind of gives him this wide eyed look and looks down to the ground and looks back up and says, No, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> and it just, it just cracked me up because either Daryl was saying, proclaiming that no one from Chicago could possibly follow Christ. Or more likely, uh, Daryl had no idea what a Christian was or what it meant to be a Christian. I think our language uh, can communicate or it can miscommunicate at times. Uh, a few years ago, I did a, a sermon on uh, what it meant to be a saint. And, uh, and even though we're imperfect people and that God is still working on each one of us, that God uh, refers to us and sees us and gives us the title of saints. So if you look at Paul's letter, letters to uh, the different churches that he established, um, his titles for them are saint. Uh, these are the believers in, in uh, the Corinthians, the Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Romans. He calls them all saints. And then in Philippians, uh, he calls them saints too. And then he also adds overseers and deacons. And I don't think that's because he doesn't think that overseers and deacons can be saints. I think that, uh, well, we'll get to what I think that means a little later. Um, and so the, the emphasis of this sermon that I did was that if God sees me as a saint, um, then I need to see myself as a saint. That needs to be my primary identity. And, and maybe more importantly, if God sees you as a saint, I need to see you as a saint as a saint and treat you that way as well. And so that's why I greet you all on Sunday mornings as saints, uh, mostly as a reminder to myself. Um, I think that, uh, um, again, I, I think... Definitions are important. This summer I preached on discipleship and what it meant to be a disciple, because we're disciples too, and what it means to follow Christ and to make followers of Christ. And the same theme I'm going to be touching on today. Um, I I think sometimes it's easy to get distracted from our goal of being Christ-like. Sometimes even too much Christmas can help me or make me lose my focus on Christ. And so it's good to be back together today as an eternal family, uh, worshiping our Lord and Jesus together. Um, this, this Jesus who put on flesh to dwell with us, um, who knew very well he was going to be rejected and crucified. Uh, this Jesus at Christmas in the swaddling cloths always was and is and will be the great I am the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of all creation. And he's worthy of so much more than we can even imagine to offer him. Yet it's good to be um, gathered together in his name, proclaiming he is God, knowing that at some someday, at some point, either we're going to him or he's coming to us. And we look forward expectantly to that day. The passage that Kevin read is not your normal Christmas passage out of Philippians. In fact, uh, Philippi and Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, are, are very far apart, especially in that day. So we're going to throw a map up here because uh, I would love to orient you to this story and this letter uh, of the Philippians. Um, if you look there, Jerusalem is on your right, Rome is on your left, and Philippi is right there in the middle. And so today I hope to give you a lot of context um, and so that when you read Uh, Philippians in the future, maybe through your Bible read-through next year, that this passage will come alive for you. That's why we did the drama this morning. Because I think Acts 16 is the background to the letter of the Philippians. Sometimes I forget that Paul, in writing his letter, was writing those letters to real people with real problems. Sometimes I treat those letters like they're theology papers for some seminary class or something. Uh, But Paul knew the Philippians personally. He spent time with them. He brought them the gospel. Uh, He stayed with them. We're not sure how long, but long enough enough to understand that there were going to be problems within this growing church. Philippi uh, is actually an interesting city. Paul visited it on his second missionary journey, and it's actually the first city in Europe, the continent of Europe, to receive the gospel from a missionary. Paul also visited Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth and all kinds of other cities in uh, Greece during that missionary journey. But Philippi was not a Greek city. It was Roman. It was very Roman. And Roman culture highly influenced the people of Philippi. In 44 B.C., uh, before Christ, Julius Caesar was assassinated and it threw the Roman world into an uproar Uh, as different generals rose up and tried to make themselves the next Caesar. And a couple years after that assassination, there was a major battle between two of those generals right outside of the city of Philippi. And the winner, who was Caesar Augustus, who goes on, uh, you know, to, to call the census later on, um, Caesar Augustus confiscated all the wealth and all the property of the citizens of Philippi and redistributed that as spoils of war rewards to his generals and his staff who were romans and so overnight the city of philippi becomes a roman colony and very roman in nature luke brings attention to this idea that philippi was a colony Uh, in this verse here he says and from there we went to philippi which is a leading city of the district of macedonia and a roman colony this is the only time the word colony is used in the Bible. And there were a lot of other cities that are mentioned that weren't colonies. They just weren't, it wasn't drawn attention to that they were colonies. The residents of Philippi were living in Macedonia, which was almost Asia, but they clearly identify with Rome. Uh, this is what the, the slave owner says. Uh, she said, they said, They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans, to accept or practice. Romans had a lot of customs uh, and their customs were pretty deep. One of them was class distinctions. Uh, it was really important to them which class you were part of. And it was the goal of most people in that that time to climb up to the next social class or at least get as high as you could, because there was more honor in being a higher class person. You expected people to give you honor. If they didn't, there were consequences. Honor was a big deal in their culture back then. And everyone knew where they stood in the social pecking order of the day. At the top was the Senate. These were the elite decision makers. Uh, They got the most honor. Uh, Below them were citizens. And if you were in the citizen class, there were all kinds of other distinctions within that class Uh, and divisions uh, for being a Roman citizen. As a Roman citizen, you could vote, you could sue in court, you could own property, and you were protected from certain forms of punishment. Below them were the freedmen. Uh, The freedmen were conquered people who had worked their way out of slavery. Uh, They could hire themselves out as servants. And if for the right price, they could buy citizenship and move their way up. The very bottom rung of the ladder were the slaves. Uh, and slavery back then was different than slavery that we think of, which is American South slavery. Um, and and no, matter, no matter what it was, though, you were still owned, and you were as likely to go into the uh, gladiator ring as you were maybe to tutor a senator's child. It all depended on your abilities and gifts that you brought into the, your ownership that way. So Roman culture, it was different from Greek culture and different from Jewish culture. And partially because the Romans saw themselves as the conquerors. They were the elite. It was the Roman Empire. Um, Doug Greenwald, some of you know that name. He's a teacher that works for Preserving Bible Times. He's been here before uh, giving a conference about biblical context. Uh, I've put together a one-minute video of some audio he's done uh, on teaching on how the Romans
1: saw themselves watch this is not a new one the Roman Empire was big into this and their answer was we are going to create a notion and foster it and cultivate it and nurture it called Roman exceptionalism because we are the people who bring order out of chaos we are the ones who always win and aren't you glad you're a Roman? That's what they fostered time and time again, this notion, aren't you glad you're a Roman? You're on the winning side. And can you see part of Paul's issue already when he brings the gospel to this world? He's concerned with a different kind of exceptionalism, the kingdom of God, and a different notion of being on the winning side, and that's part of many of the conflicts, intentions that he had to deal with as he brought the good news to the Roman world.
0: Doug is going to be back here on, um, on Palm Sunday weekend doing another conference for us. So you can put that, that down on your calendars. It should be really good. And then when he's, he's going to preach that Sunday and he's going to talk about the difference between a slave and a servant And the attitude we take in our Christian life and how we see ourselves that way. So it'll be good. The Apostle Paul uh, was Jewish. He was very Jewish. Uh, uh, And this is the way he describes himself to the Philippians in the letter. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul was not a religious slacker. Yet, uh, Paul also understood Roman culture. Um, Paul spent some other time in jail uh, in Jerusalem, and this is the way he describes himself to his captor. He says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. Paul was a Roman citizen, He grew up in a Roman town. uh, And being a Roman citizen, that meant a lot back then. Paul was a smart guy, really smart. I think he understood the Roman system really well and the Roman world really well. Apparently well enough to have a good argument with some philosophers in Athens even. And Paul understood the Philippians and the culture that they were experiencing uh, and Paul knew that that this classism that was Im- deeply embedded in Roman culture was going to be part of the Philippi church and that that was incompatible with what it meant to be a body and followers of Christ together so he treats the philippians a little bit differently he gives them some unique teaching um, and he lives out his life actually a little bit different. I want to uh, point out those differences to you this morning. The first is in the teaching that he did. Uh, so I put up those letters uh, with the first line of each uh, of those letters where Paul greets the believers there as saints. Uh, and then uh, a pastor named Joe Hellerman, who is a free church pastor, wrote a book that pointed out something to me, that when I saw it, I'm like, this is crazy. Why haven't ever seen this before. Maybe it's just a, a, it's a stupid pastor thing. Maybe I was getting excited about it. I don't know. But look at, look at the slide here. Um, uh, Paul labels himself as an apostle to all these other groups, which is right. He was an apostle, and I think it points out the authority he has able to teach and the authority that his teaching carries. But in Philippians, he doesn't use apostle. At all, and, and, and he could have just left it out. But instead, he calls himself a slave. And the Greek word for slave is doulos. And some translations um, translate that as servant and some as uh, slave, some as bondservant servant. But regardless, it implies you were owned. You were owned by somebody else. In fact, the slave girl who was following us around, screaming, these men are slaves of the Most High God. Duloy, these men are slaves of the Most High God. So Paul takes on the identity with the Philippians, not as an apostle, but as a slave. Why? I, that's, a, that's a great question. And I think the idea that he calls them saints, but then also points out overseers and deacons, uh, is is part of that answer in there. I think Paul is trying to upset the apple cart a little bit, uh, their classism apple cart. He uses their titles, their important titles, and humbles himself. It would be as if maybe the Pope was writing me a letter saying, uh, From your humble slave and servant Francis to the most highly exalted Reverend Pastor Paul Johnson. You know, you you can feel how awkward that would be. Uh, And and I think Paul was doing the same thing here, creating a little bit of awkwardness. Because the Philippians had a problem. And their problem was they were looking down on other people in their congregation that weren't in the same social classes they were in. And I don't think the religious titles they were using were helping uh, during the day. So Paul gives them some counsel, advice, teaching. He says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition ambition, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now this was deeply countercultural advice. The Romans, they looked out for their own interest. That was the only way to move up the social ladder. Maybe they look out for the interests of their family too because family was very important. Uh, But you didn't advance anybody else if there wasn't something in it for you. So so Paul gives them this teaching to look out for others and, and he tells them what to do and then why in the next verses. He says this, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who... Existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he'd come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." Paul is calling the Philippians here to be like Christ. And Jesus, he didn't use his position for his personal advantage, did he? He came as a human baby for us, not for his own glory. He came to be beaten and crucified just a number of years later. He laid down his life for us. And I think Paul is using this section to remind the Philippians that if they want to be Christ-like, they need to have that same attitude. Paul's greeting in the letter as slave emphasizes this point uh, in his own life. In other parts of Philippians, he emphasizes it too. Here's one verse. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what matters. None of our accomplishments set us above anyone else. Christ makes us as brothers and sisters equal, and he makes us one. So, Paul taught this. Uh, I'm sure he taught it to them when when he was staying with them in Philippi, but then he writes this letter and teaches it to to them as well. Um, He also lived out what it meant to be Christ like. Paul was a working example for them to, to witness. Paul was a citizen of Rome. Um, and, and he knew the Roman law really well. Um, and there's another point where he was in in trouble with the law, and he was in prison, and that's laid out for us in Acts 22. This is when Paul is in jail in Jerusalem. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, When they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, He went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune was also afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Now there were things you could do and things you couldn't do to Roman citizens back then. And one of them was punish them before they'd face trial. And if, if you did, you could be thrown in jail and beaten yourself. So this same scenario played out a few years earlier in Philippi. But Paul let himself be beaten. He didn't use his defense until afterwards. Why? Is it because he had just figured it out? I don't think so. Paul was smart. If he knew anything, he knew law. He could have used his status to avoid that, but he didn't. And and perhaps it was because he knew the Philippians needed to see what it looked like not to use your position for your own advantage Because that's what Christ did. He could have come as conqueror and set up his earthly throne. That would have been okay for him to do. He could have eliminated all the immoral people in the world. He could have used his authority to take, uh, uh, take over all the political issues of the day and set them straight, but he didn't. The Bible says he assumed the form of a slave. And to be like Christ, we need to do that too. And I realize that's not a popular message and it's something that's really hard to do. In some of his other letters, Paul writes this. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. To the Philippians, he states it this way. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul taught the Philippians. They heard his message. They learned what he was teaching. And they received it, it says. Uh, they, they recognized it as true. But Paul also modeled these things. He says, what you have seen in me practiced. Practice. Paul walked the talk, and, he, and they witnessed it. And I can't help but think that when they received uh, that letter, that we call letter to the Philippians, um that there was that awkwardness and they were reminded of their their Paul's stay with them. And so uh, how, how do we flesh this out? How does that play out in our own lives? Uh, because honestly, as I'm writing this sermon, it's just deeply convicting to me. Uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others that's a hard message i've used those verses a lot in marital counseling and to be honest most people just don't want to do it Uh, they don't want to look to their spouse's interests as more significant than their own Um, but to be honest i don't even like doing this i'm selfish (laughs) i um a couple of years ago, I was watching a movie with Jed, my son, and we were taking a little bit of a break. And I said, "Hey, you want a brownie?" And so I go to the pan and I cut out some brownies. And I, there's one piece that was a middle piece, and then there was one piece uh, from the edge. And I kind of like the middle piece. I, I don't know about you. I know there's a debate on that. There's some edge edge people, but uh, I didn't uh, uh, I didn't ask Jed what he wanted. I just took the middle piece for myself. I thought, well. Maybe he's an edge person. You know, maybe he likes the edge. And, and uh, you know, it was not a big deal. It was just, he was probably just happy I got up and got him a brownie. But uh, um, uh, the next day, I'm preaching at Teen Challenge. I go out there once a month and preach. And the next day, I'm out there preaching, and I'm talking about laying your life down for each other, and the Holy Spirit just convicts me, saying, you just don't even care, do you, you know, about your son here? And, and so I'm externally processing with the Teen Challenge guys, and, and, and I'm like, okay, next month when I come back, I'm going to report to you what part of the brownie my son likes. Uh, and, and so the, the, that next week, then, I pulled Jed aside and, and just kind of on the sly and just, you know, asked him offhand. You know, um, so so when we have brownies, uh, do you like that middle piece or do you like that, you know, really good crusty edge piece? And so I realized then I'm totally spinning this to still get what I want, right? Uh, and and uh, Jed thinks about it. He says, no, I kind of like the middle piece. I'm like, oh, nuts. Now I'm responsible for that information. Um, but But to be honest, you know, I do care about my son and I want him, I want to, I want to lay down my life for him. So I'll do that in, in areas of brownies now, which is really easy in the big scope of things, right? Um, and, and although this passage applies to parenting and it applies to marriage relationships, Paul wrote this in the context of a church body. And so the question is, does it apply to us as Lakewood you know, in one sense, I think uh, we're kind of like the Jews in first-century Jerusalem. We tend to make uh, small things into big things religiously sometimes, um, and and when that happens, we lobby to get the things that we like. Uh, and I think as leadership, we need to just keep ourselves in check uh, for that, um, because I don't—I would hate for us to be like those first-century Jews and miss something big. That God would have for us. In another sense, we're like Rome. Uh, I think Doug Greenwald's uh, explanation of Roman exceptionalism uh, could certainly apply to our country. We have different classes in our country, economic classes. We have educational classes, different racial distinctions. Uh, some people would even point out the difference between Brainerd and Baxter uh, and, and use that to, to separate people. Um, and we have religious classes too. I, I'm always careful within Lakewood how we use titles because I think sometimes with the use of titles comes temptation to honor some people over than others um, and usually not over ourselves. Um, Question, a great question is, do I think less of any of you here? Uh, that would be awful if I did. So as we gather together, are we looking out to the interests of others? Do I really view you as more significant than myself? Um, so in your sermon notes, there's those life application questions that you're supposed to get to the rest of the week. And if you look in there, one of the things I'm asking you to do is read through Acts 16 as the backdrop to Philippians. Um, But then I also ask you to read through Philippians. So open your Bibles right now if you've got a Bible in front of you. Open it up to Philippians. Um, Philippians is only four chapters long. It will take you less than ten minutes to read the whole thing. And if you read it right now, you'll be caught up for it for 2015. So when you're a month behind, uh, you, can st- you can just skip over that part. Uh, or you can just read it again. Um, I'm going to end by reading out of chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And I'll do it in the ESV this time, since that's what most of us bring here. And so as a body, I would love for us to take this challenge that Paul gives to the Philippians. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, d- did not e- count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says uh, to the Philippians, what you have learned and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God promises that as we imitate his son, that he will be with us. So that's good news. We're not alone. That's the good news of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for promising your presence with us. I thank you for uh, promising even to do this good work through us. We just need to let go of our own selfish motivations. And so, Father, I ask that you give each of us a little brownie moment this week where we can be confronted with ways that we can lay down our life uh, for people we love or even for people we, we don't love. Father, it's only through you that we can love our enemies like Jesus commanded. So, Father, we give this day and this week over to you for your precious glory.